Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Well, it's a very special night uh, as we have a chance to come to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I've been really looking forward to this evening. Uh, we're starting in the book of Judges and uh, we're ending in Corinthians. Let's, uh, let's just pray. Father, thanks for the body of Christ in this place. Thanks for Alive at Five. Uh, bless us by speaking to us now and drawing us to Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we must not read Judges carelessly, but we must read it. It's confronting, terrifying in its depiction of human depravity. Here is a book in the Bible that is most unpleasant to read, in the most part. Is there any limit to the violence, the lust, the idolatry and the deception evidenced by human beings in the book of Judges? It's confronting. God's holy anger is kindled again and again. God is provoked and God is the judge in Judges. At times, God's purposes and actions are unexpected, even surprising, perhaps disturbing. And by the end of the book, the repeated phrase, everyone did what was right in his own eyes, is a troubling summary phrase for anarchy, lawlessness, the death of conscience and the failure of community. We have seen this in many nations throughout human history, but here in Judges, it is not only those who don't know the Lord who are corrupt, Canaanites, Edomites, Syrians... It is God's own people who fail again and again. This portion of Israel's history, perhaps over 300 years, is bleak. The nation of Israel is transitioning from its formative leaders, Moses and Joshua, to the era of kings, opened up by Samuel. And in between, there is this interim period of judges which ought to be glorious, but proves to be Disgusting. If we don't read Judges in the light of Christ's death and resurrection, as disciples of the judge, the Messiah, the prophet, the priest, the king, our responses to the texts of Judges will be entirely wrong or we'll just stop reading it. The book of Judges is the seventh in the Hebrew Scriptures. The Torah consists of five, Genesis to Deuteronomy, and now Joshua and Judges are the first two of the former prophets. It's a period of over 300 years, and yet it only contains the stories of 12 judges. And here's the pattern of the book, just showing again how very carefully edited Scripture is. It has a prologue and an epilogue, 1136, 17.1 to 21.25. And then the stories of the judges are grouped into six major stories, Othniel, Ehud, Deborah, Gideon and Abimelech, Jephthah and Samson. 
and six very sh short references, Shamgar, Tola, Jai, Ibsen, Elon and Abdon. And the way they've been arranged, they echo into the middle and so right at the heart of Judges is the main event, the story of Gideon and Abimelech. These judges are surprising people, to say the least. And Othniel, the first of the judges, is set up, I think, in the book to give us the pattern that's going to be reproduced 12 times. So we look at Othniel to get a handle on the whole book. Othniel is from the tribe of Judah, the tribe that Jesus will come from. Uh, in the south, Othniel leads Israel for a short time. And here is the pattern in each of the judges' story. It starts with Israel being disobedient. Israel forgets God, serves Baals, is unfaithful. Covenant curses from Leviticus and Numbers afflict the nation. Evil must be purged out. This will lead Israel eventually to exile. And God, who is holy, must judge sin. God is angered. His righteous response to evil, uh, his right response to evil, is not some sort of an outrageous, out-of-control God. It's a justice in love. And God doesn't get angered easily. Uh, scripture tells us over and over again that God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. A really important word in the books of Scripture is the word provoked. And God is provoked and provoked and provoked and provoked and then judgment comes. God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And though many people are critical of God's behaviour in a book like Judges, we need to remember that God is responding to tyranny and evil that is unmatched at times. The name Kushan Rishathaim sounds like the name Kushan of double wickedness. He is a really evil person. Kushan, who is the ruler of the land between the Euphrates and the Tigris, he's a, he's a very strong ruler, is a tyrant of double wickedness. And Israel suffers eight years of tyranny under Kushan. We don't know much else about him, but God's anger at Kushan and at Israel is just. And then in response, God, Israel calls out for help to God. They, they cry out, they groan, just as they had at the time of Exodus, and they ask God for help. In response to their cry, God is merciful. He raises up a saviour. And the word saviour or deliverer is more often used than the word judge for these judges. These aren't really judges in any court sense or legal sense. They're military heroes who will fight and deliver Israel's armies and defeat the armies of Israel's oppressors. To equip the judge, God sends the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Othniel and empowers him. And we need to understand that in the wars of judges, the Lord is the captain of the army. He is actually fighting through his spirit's presence in the judge. God wars against Kushan, Rishathaim and his armies. In the book of Joshua, which we've talked about last week, 
The Holy Spirit is never mentioned. And uh, we're perhaps surprised that in the book of Judges, the Holy Spirit is mentioned seven times. Uh, the sevenfold mention of the Spirit of God in Judges needs to be considered. Judges tells us that when the Spirit comes, military heroes are empowered to fight. Othniel overpowers his enemy because God's Spirit is within him. In 634, the Holy Spirit clothes Gideon for battle. In 1129, the Spirit of Yahweh comes upon Jephthah to fight. And then most strangely, in the life of Samson, the Spirit stirs him, and then three times the Spirit, the word is, rushes upon him. He rushes into Samson's life and leaves again. He rushes into Samson's life and leaves again, and then he rushes again upon Samson. The powering work of the Spirit in Judges is for killing Israel's enemies. It's bringing upon them the judgment of God in battle and defeat. We dare not dampen these stories down. If we do, we lose the wonder of the cross and then the impelling nature of Christian discipleship. In Judges, the Spirit comes so that God's chosen one will fight. The work of God's Spirit upon a judge is temporary. The Spirit comes and leaves. And the work of God's Spirit is selective. The Spirit only comes to certain ones, not to the general Israelite population. In effect, then, in Judges, because of the Spirit, it is God who fights the enemies of Israel and God who either gives the victory in battle or not. The Spirit of God enables the killing of Israel's enemies. Israel is victorious in battle when the Spirit has come. On this occasion, Kushan Rishthayim is overpowered by a lesser army, but that's what happens through Judges when the Spirit comes. And then we have peace in the land, and that is the sevenfold pattern of the judges. Peace in the land, the word peace is shalom. It's a land at rest where animals and crops and rainfall occurs without threat, where God and his people dwell in harmony, where sacrifice and worship and singing and, and loving and enjoying God's world continues and abide, abides and then that's lost again and it's regained and lost again and regained, and this happens 12 times. So there's the pattern of the judges, but I want to talk for a little while about God. What are we to make of God's actions in judges? Is this the same God who so loves the world that he sends Jesus to save the world through crucifixion? Yes, it is. It's the same God. And this history in the book of Judges and indeed throughout much of the Hebrew scriptures, right up to the time of John the Baptist, is given so that 21st century readers like you and I will weep when we read it and long for something, for someone 
who will step into the mess and chaos with power to bring healing and hope. For God has made covenant with wretched human beings. And the law of Moses, which shapes these judges, does not have the power to transform human life. We must read these stories, and they ought to move us. Gone is the sort of neutral, rational human response. They should make us angry, and they should render us humble and repentant for the sins of humanity and for our sins. We must read them, because only then, as we read through Scripture patiently, will we have a new appreciation of how great Jesus is. We have an old hymn that we sing, Hallelujah, what a saviour. In the light of judges, we ought to have a hymn, Hallelujah, what a judge. Hallelujah, what a prophet. Hallelujah, what a king. Hallelujah, what a human. Hallelujah, what a God. And today, when our world is afflicted by cruelty and wrongdoing of the same kind as we have in judges, we ought to be thankfully and courageously bearing witness to Jesus as the one who can rescue and heal even in the most dire of places and broken of lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Much of what happens in Judges points forward to and anticipates what God will do through Jesus but I do want to focus just on one area tonight of significance, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence of the Holy God with God's people in God's world. This personal presence of holiness is something we've got to get our heads around. God is loving in holiness. God is angry in holiness, just in holiness. Holiness initially means God is utterly other than everything created. He is uncreated in his single holy otherness. And yet he is good, powerful, gracious, loving and kind in a way that is only imaged by creation but after the fall never entirely so. The Holy Spirit is the presence of that creator God who is righteous and good in the fallen sinful world of which we are a part. In Judges, the Spirit comes on seven occasions to empower God's chosen leaders to fight. He strengthens them, he defeats God's enemies, but he only comes temporarily and he only comes for battle in Judges. But then in the book of Samuel, the Spirit continues to come in the lives of both Saul and David. And there is one exception to the Spirit coming to empower for battle, and that happens in the life of Saul. Uh, Saul is a strong, handsome, good-looking warrior figure whose heart is weak, who should never have been king, uh, who didn't want to be king and who didn't have the heart of the king, but he had the appeal of a king. He had the height of a king, not the heart of a king. He should have been the one who fought Goliath, 
but he never put up his hand for that kind of challenge. In 1 Samuel 10, the Holy Spirit comes upon Saul. This is what God says. He says, The Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy. This is the one time, this is the remarkable time, when the Spirit of God comes upon a chosen judge-king figure and it's not for killing, it's for speaking. And... God goes on to say, you will be changed into a different person. Literally, you will have a new heart. Literally, you will be, for a time, a changed human. The Spirit overpowers Saul, and Saul starts to prophesy. He starts to speak God's words and joins with the school of prophets, and it becomes proverbial, Saul is a prophet. Saul is among the prophets. Here is this guy who has not much going for him except his appearance, who for a time utters God's words, speaks God's words, prophesies for the Lord, and his heart is changed. There's a renewing, empowering of the Spirit in Saul's life. Just briefly, in 1 Samuel 16, the Spirit leaves him again, and Saul's demise is tragic indeed. The Spirit only comes temporarily, only to a small number of chosen leaders. But then, because of Messiah Jesus, the presence and work of the Holy Spirit among God's people is now quite remarkable. And I think in Acts chapter 1, as Jesus speaks to the apostles prior to his ascension, uh, they must have been gobsmacked by what he says. He says, wait in Jerusalem until you are baptised. In the Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem until you are baptized. The word baptized means to be joined with, immersed in. The Spirit will come clothing you. You will be baptized in the Spirit. And then he says to the apostles, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that's judge's language, and then he says, you will be my witnesses. Here is a radically changed administration of power through the Spirit in response to Jesus' death and resurrection. And in the New Testament documents, power is not defined by killing. It's not defined by fighting or being strong like Samson. It is defined by resurrection. It becomes power for life-giving. It's not killing people, it's liberating people from death. It's all turned upside down. Uh, Andy Crouch says in his books on culture, power is for flourishing. Now, power, the overpowering presence of the Spirit, is to give life. And so these apostles, who in some ways are like Saul in their fear, go out and testify of a crucified Messiah and a risen Messiah by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then when we come to a passage like 1 Corinthians 12, we start to read that the Spirit is a giver of gifts. This is a remarkable unfolding, I guess, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. 
First of all, we would read that the Spirit is God's gift. God gives the Spirit his presence, his holy presence, to his people, to all his people, men and women, children, all ethnicities, all abilities, all social backgrounds who come to know Jesus, that the Spirit comes to stay and to knit together a body of Christ on the earth. The Spirit is the gift and then the Spirit becomes the giver. And so we read there are different kinds of gifts and now the word for gift comes from the Greek word for gracing, for blessing. In the renewal years, in the 70s and 80s, we used to call them the gracelets of the gift, which God wraps around your neck, the gifts to speak, the gifts to know, the gifts to act. These are grace gifts, and the Spirit distributes them. And there are different kinds of service, but one Lord, different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, the same God, the same Spirit, we have Trinity there, and diversity and unity in relationship with Father, Son and Spirit. And notice the word working in verse 6. That's the word energising, giving energy to. And in Judges, that energy was to take up a sword and a shield and kill Kushan Rashathaim and defeat wickedness in the armies of the Mesopotamians. Now it's working, verse 7, for the common good. To each one... The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. These gracelets then, to one is given a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith, confident trust in the Lord, to another gifts of healing. These are plural here. Uh, the gifts of healings by that one Spirit. To another powers, miracles, the ability to trust God for great things, to another prophecy, to another discernment between spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongues, uh, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the energising of the one and the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines when Samson had the spirit rush upon him, he became strong. His corrupt human heart and lust did not change. He became strong. When the spirit is given to be manifest now, it's for the good, it's for the welfare, it's for the blessing of the community. And in our unity and diversity, everyone is gifted Everyone is graced, everyone speaks, everyone acts, everyone thinks and knows, everyone receives a gift. Think of a Christmas season or a birthday celebration at which one of the senior members of the family hands out the gifts. The gifts are distributed and there's joy and sharing. That's what the Spirit does to God's people. Everyone is gifted with speaking words with trusting faith, with restorative healing ministries, with powerful works that glorify God, with prophecies and discernment and tongues and the interpretation of tongues. The Spirit in the New Testament 
becomes the great giver and the church becomes the gifted community to bless. All power for witness among us and to the world. What a radical shift in what the Spirit does. If judges is a history of judgment on evil in a powerless law-based era when God was working towards the coming of Jesus, now that Jesus has come, until Christ's return and a final judgment is enacted, the Spirit is just playfully distributing and blessing you with gifts. And so everyone in this church has a part to play. A word to speak, a ministry of encouragement, faith to pray, healing gifts, works that glorify God, prophetic words, tongue gifts, whatever your gifts are, tonight I want to ask you, what is the Spirit manifesting in you right now? What is the Spirit manifesting in you for the sake of us? And are you letting the manifestation of the Spirit Come out in blessing for the common good in your words and deeds and actions, in your prayers and encouragements and phone calls and writing. The church is a community with gifts. Our prayer tonight is that the Lord will fill us with the Holy Spirit and give us the power to be witnesses to Jesus, to the world, for the common good among us, the body of Christ, and for the folks all around us in Springwood and the Blue Mountains communities, as the gifts of God bless people through our hands and mouths and words and works. It's so good. But if you don't read Judges, you don't get the contrast. It's so good because the world changed when Jesus rose from the dead. And what the Spirit is doing till Christ returns in this new age that's broken in, it's happening because of Jesus. And it will happen until Jesus returns. And this is an era, not for killing people. This is an era for blessing people. This is an era to share gifts. Until Christ comes, the Holy Spirit, transforming hearts, words, minds and lives, is saying to the church, bless the world with your gifts. We ought to be the wisest people. We ought to be the most discerning people. We ought to be the most prayerful people, the most trusting people, the most restorative people in the world because of the Spirit's gifts. So I'm going to pray and ask God to manifest himself powerfully in the Alive at Five community. And may his gifts flow and flourish through you, to us, through us, to the world in these days. And if we have a chance for a few questions, we might take them then. Father, sometimes we neglect to recognise that it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. Jesus, sometimes we forget that power is resurrection transformation, renewal, healing. And sometimes we forget that you have gifted everyone. There are no passive spectators in the church. There are active, gifted participators who've been given gifts for the sake of others, 
to speak and act and think and know for the common good. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the distributor. Thank you, Jesus. You are Lord. Thank you, Father, that you are God alone. I pray that you would gift us mightily in Alive at Five Church with wisdom and understanding, with counsel and courage, with knowledge and godliness. I pray that the manifestation of your spirit in words that are spoken, in wisdom and knowledge, in tongues and the interpretation of tongues, in works that are powerful, in healing ministries, in prophetic understanding, would surprise us. that we would mature and grow as the body of Christ in this place and gratefully and thankfully, cheerfully live out the gifts that you've given us and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. May those fruits be abundantly evident in our character and virtues and lives and relationships. Lord, thank you for bringing the world through some very dark eras. And now that Jesus is risen, may the dark places in the world be invaded by the gracious, gracious and generous power of your Holy Spirit. Here in Australia, throughout the world, we claim the nations for your holy presence. In Jesus' name. Amen.